Let us now hear God's word. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, <clears throat> Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As far as the reading of God's word, at this time I invite you to turn with me in the Forms and Prayers book to page 230. There are two questions and answers that we'll look particularly at this evening, and then others as well. But two here, I will ask the question, congregation, question and answer 75, Lord's Day 28. I will ask the question, congregation, together with the answer. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. See with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me. So surely his body was offered and broken for me, and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh 
and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us a deeper faith and an understanding heart, that what we hear, we would grow in faith, hope, and love. What we hear, we would apply to our lives and live in accordance with your word. And so grant us, O Lord, spiritual ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the living God is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation of Christ, we spoke last Sunday evening about the sacraments. There are two sacraments in the church, not seven sacraments. We believe that there are two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we learn that a sacrament is a visible sign, a visible holy sign and seal instituted by God in order that by their use he may the more fully disclose and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Namely, that because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross, he graciously grants us the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Well, this evening, we're going to look, begin looking at these sacraments. Now, in the order of the catechism, I would have been speaking on baptism this evening, because that would have been the next question and answer, but next week we celebrate the sacrament of baptism, so I'm skipping over that part and we'll preach Sunday morning on baptism. And so tonight we are looking at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we're first going to look at the institution of the Lord's Supper and then look at the meaning of the Lord's Supper and then the recipients of the Lord's Supper. So first let's look at the institution of the Lord's Supper. When we talk about institution, what are we talking about? When we talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper, we refer to an accepted practice and tradition in the church that is based upon the Word of God. And in that Word, and we see it in our text in Matthew, that Jesus is associated with elements, bread and wine. This is an institution that Christ has established for His church. On that Thursday evening, the disciples and Jesus celebrate the Passover feast. Usually the Passover feast was a family feast, celebrated in the home. The family ate it together, but they are not in Galilee, and they're wondering where they're going to celebrate the Passover, and Jesus lays out the command of what they should do to prepare for it. And so they go and prepare the Passover in what is known as the upper room, and they ate together in that room. And we see in our passage that Jesus takes bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this, that is the bread, is my body. 
And he took a cup, which was known as the cup of blessing. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, that is, drink of the wine, all of you, for this, that is, the wine, is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenants. These are known as words of institution. And you often find that in our preparatory to the Lord's Supper, the words of institution that the minister will say before serving the sacraments. His body and his flesh and his spirit are right there before the disciples' eyes when he says these words. The elements of bread and wine didn't radically and miraculously turn into something they were not. The Catholic Church calls it the Mass. There's a long technical word for it, where the elements change into the real body and blood of Christ. Jesus isn't saying that the bread and the wine become something that they are not. He's associating himself with those elements. He's instituting something very profound, which we're looking at this evening. He institutes a new supper that will be the fulfillment of the new covenants. The new covenant of Jeremiah chapter 11. And like all covenants, they need to be ratified with blood. And we see this clearly in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 4, 24. Rather. Moses took blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The old covenant was ratified with blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, the author takes the same idea that covenants are ratified by blood. And Jesus, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, is saying that he is ratifying this new covenant by his blood. And these elements, body, his body and blood will be associated in the bread and the wine. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus is sharing a Passover meal, the Last Supper. It's last for several reasons. It's going to be the last Passover meal that they celebrate, and it's going to be the last meal that Jesus will have with his disciples before his crucifixion. Jesus institutes a new supper that will be the fulfillment of the new covenant, and thus the Passover feast will be replaced with the Lord's Supper, a new supper, a new feast that the people of God enjoy and celebrate. Because Jesus is the bread of heaven. He is the manna from heaven. He is not like the manna that the Israelites ate in the desert and perished because of unbelief. He is the true bread who gives true spiritual food to eat. And His blood is true spiritual food or true spiritual drink. 
And in this institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus is pointing to that reality of his crucified body and shed blood. And as we read in the catechism, as the catechism rightly teaches, it all points to what? To the one sacrifice of Christ. To the one sacrifice of Christ. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10 writes, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then the author goes on to say, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So the Lord's Supper isn't a re-sacrifice of Christ. The Lord's Supper, as we'll see, is a remembrance of that one sacrifice of Christ. And the Lord institutes this new supper for the new covenant people of God. For those of the new creation. For those called out of the world and into the kingdom and light of our Savior Jesus. It's a new meal for a new people of God. Jew and Gentile. It's no longer a bloody feast and sacrifice, but rather it's a non-bloody feast, pointing to the one sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus institutes a new supper, the Lord's Supper, where he associates his crucified body and shed, shed blood with bread and wine. Now let's look at the deeper meaning of the Lord's Supper. What is going on here. When we think about the meaning of the Lord's Supper, we, we mostly get the institution of the Lord's Supper from the Gospels. But when we look at the meaning of the Lord's Supper and what's going on in the Lord's Supper, we go to Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for example, if you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Paul recalls the words of institution and goes more deeply into the meaning of the words of institution of the Lord's Supper. What does he teach us about the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Well, first, the Lord's Supper is a constant memorial until the Lord comes. Do this in remembrance of me. A memorial has to do with the past. Until the second coming of Christ, the church remembers Again, the one sacrifice for sin that was done in the past. Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all your sin. Remember that from last week in the evening? And what that means? And so the sacrament points to the past. That there's no need for a present or future sacrifice for your sin. That when you partake, you remember. It's a memorial to Christ and His sacrifice. You remember that there's no longer a need for an altar because sacrifices are made at altars. No, we come to a table. And at tables, there's fellowship and communion. That's why it's called Holy Communion or the table of the Lord. We don't come to an, off, an altar where sacrifices are made. No, we come to a table where we remember what was done at the altar of the cross. The Lord's Supper, as I said, is a non-bloody feast whereby Christians gather at the Lord's table and remember that His body was freely and voluntarily given For my sin, I remember that when I partake of the bread and wine. So surely as I partake of it, I know that I have forgiveness. I'm assured that I have forgiveness. I'm assured that I'm feeding, being fed the bread of life, Jesus, by faith. By faith. We remember the saving work of Jesus is complete or finished. So first, the Lord's Supper and its meaning is a constant memorial until the Lord comes. Second, Paul 
will teach that Christians eat the body and drink the blood of Christ to nourish and strengthen our faith. This sounds cryptic and, and cannibalistic. In fact, the early church was called, were called cannibals because they heard the Gentiles, the, the unbelievers, heard of the practice of the Christians and accused Christians of being cannibals when they heard about eating flesh and drinking blood. But as I said already, we don't believe that the bread and wine miraculously becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Nor do we literally eat the body and blood of Christ. Rather, we eat and drink with mouths of faith. There's a relationship between the sign and the thing signified. What's said about the bread and wine can be said about Jesus' body and blood. That's where the association comes in. There's not a literal literal transformation of these elements. But the connection between the two is profound and deep. For example, turn with me back in the Forms and Prayers book. Page 232. I'll read the question and answer. Follow along with me, congregation. Page 232, down on the bottom, Lord's Day 29. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Question 79, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul used the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood. The answer, Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourished the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that, uh, that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. Visible signs and seals. that point to the body and blood of Christ. And we partake of that sacrament by faith. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed, he later 
few verses later, the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That is feeding off of Christ in faith. John's gospel includes many metaphors that Jesus uses. And it's interesting to me how many will say, okay, I am the door of life, I am the good shepherd, and we'll speak about metaphors that Jesus uses. But when it comes to this passage, no, he's speaking literally, that you literally have to eat his body and shed blood. But Jesus is pointing to something, isn't he? He's pointing to his sacrifice. He's, broke, he's, he's pointing to his body given for us. His blood poured out for us. And we embrace that Savior, the crucified and risen one, by faith. By faith. Well, third, the Lord's Supper unites Christians in faith, hope, and love. We are the body of Christ who partake of the one bread who is the bread of life. We are his friends and guests to the supper of the Lord, a supper that is preparatory for a greater banquet and supper to come. The Lord's supper is preparatory for something greater. When Christ calls his children to the great banquet of the Lamb in the kingdom of God. So it points to the past and it points to the future banquet that we await. Friends, the issue here in Corinth, the issue here is disunity among the body. They were divided, one group from another group. There were divisions and factions. They were eating before the rest of the body came. That's the issue. That's the issue. When they were celebrating the Lord's Supper, they weren't doing it together. And then you had little cliques doing their own thing. That's the issue. The celebration of the sacrament together signifies the one body of Christ partaking of the one bread. And it's abuse of the Lord's Supper when parts of the body it's an abuse of the Lord's Supper when parts of the body of Christ are neglected from it. When they are left out, it's a celebration in the context of God's people when they gather together as one body. Well, I can go on more about that. But another meaning of the Lord's Supper is that it visibly proclaims the Lord's sacrifice, the Lord's death until he comes, as the Apostle Paul says. Declare, O church, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are declaring the gospel. 
proclaiming the gospel. Think about what goes on in communion. What does the unbeliever see? They should hear the word of God and the gospel, but they also see the gospel. When we partake of it, Christian, when we partake of it, partake of it, we are communicating something. We are proclaiming something. And what are we proclaiming? The finished work of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. The salvation of our souls. By the body and blood of Christ. One commentator says the Eucharist is an acted sermon. An acted proclamation of the death which it commemorates. It's the visible word. And this visible word speaks to our hearts and proclaims the death of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins to the church and to those who live in unbelief sitting in the pew. If you're a young person here or an adult and you have not professed your faith in Jesus, what do you see when you see the sacrament, when you see God's people partake of it? What do you see? Do you ask the question, I, I want to partake of that. I'm hungry for that. If you have not professed faith, and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe He's your Savior and Lord. Apart from Him, you have no good thing. If you believe in the perfect work of Jesus Christ for your sin and, and for your salvation, profess faith in Christ. Receive the sign and seal of that glorious gospel. A lot can be said about that. Lastly, fifthly, the Lord's Supper and the meaning of it points forward to the great banquet of the Lamb. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Huh. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day? Communion should be a celebration. A joyful celebration of what Christ did in the past and a glorious expectation of what's to come. The institution of the Lord's Supper, the meaning of the Lord's Supper, now the recipients of the Lord's Supper. Who's invited to dinner? Who partakes of the Holy Feast? Again, in the Catechism, question and answer 81 asks, who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Paul says... Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself, therefore, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul warns recipients not to come in an unworthy manner. This word unworthy also means irreverent or profane. An unfit manner. An unbelieving manner. That's what he's referring to in an unworthy manner. A person who comes to and partakes of the Lord's table in an irreverent and mocking manner of what is sacred. Think of Judas. We read in the Gospel of Matthew. Satan entered his heart. He was there at the Passover feast. The bread and the wine were passed. To Judas. In Article 35 of the Belgian Confession, the Confession states that the wicked take the sacrament to their condemnation, just as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament. And so there's a warning attached to recipients. There's a warning. Heed the warning. If the supper was just a memorial, then why did people get sick and die? You think about that? If it was just a memorial, if it's just doing it in remembrance of Jesus and his one sacrifice, why did people get sick and die, as Paul says? No, there's something deeper going on here. And that's why he warns recipients to not come to the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. But rather, he exhorts the recipient to examine himself or to do a self-examination of the heart, of the conscience. This is why babies and toddlers, those who do not profess faith in Christ, ought to restrain or abstain from coming to the table. Because they have to be able to examine themselves, understand their sin and misery, Acknowledge and confess their sin and misery. Publicly profess their faith in Christ. They must wait until they can articulate and profess faith in Jesus before God and His church. So a worthy partaker acknowledges and confesses his unworthiness. Listen to this. A worthy partaker acknowledges his unworthiness to come to the table. That's when you know you're ready to come to the table of the Lord. As a Christian, you acknowledge your unworthiness to come. But Christ's body and blood, His redeeming grace, His love makes you worthy. The supper is for repentant sinners, not the self-righteous, not the self-righteous, not for the superstitious. It's for repentant, broken sinners who look to Jesus. Christ makes it simple. For weak sinners like us, 
by nature, we are sinners deserving God's judgment, but God being rich in mercy, what does he do? He makes us alive in Christ, seats us in the heavenly places with Christ, and that is our status before God. And we celebrate that status before God when we come to the table, when by grace through faith in Christ, I am counted righteous, I am justified and made worthy to receive the promise of forgiveness and eternal life. That my sins have been crucified with Christ, crucified with him, put to death with him, buried with him. And I receive the sacrament with that understanding, that belief, and that belief strengthens my faith, strengthens my faith in understanding that my status before God is signified and sealed in this supper, that just as surely as I, as I eat and drink, I have all the assurances and promises that come from God. That all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And he is all I need. All I need. Is he all that you need, Christian? Because when you come to the table of the Lord, that is what you're saying. Jesus, you are my all in all. You are all I need. For the salvation of my soul and the forgiveness of my sins and a relationship with my Father in heaven. Sacrament of the Lord's Supper is that assurance to us of all the promises of God that are yes and amen in Jesus. And so when you come to the table next time, come in humble faith and in hope and in fervent love for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God and Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, that you meet our deepest and greatest need, the need for you. We thank you that you pierce through hardened hearts. We thank you that by your Spirit you have given us a heart of flesh that seeks after you. We thank you that by your grace and spirit you have given us faith. You have worked faith in our hearts. And that through the sign and seal, the visible sign and seal of the new covenant in Christ's body and blood, that you, O oh Lord, help us in the weakness of our faith by giving us this sign and seal so that we may be strengthened and nourished in faith. That you work by the power of the Spirit in our lives in very real and tangible ways. We thank you, O oh Lord, for meeting us where we are at and taking us to where Christ desires us to be. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a deeper appreciation for the sacraments instituted by our Lord himself, baptism in the Lord's Supper. And may we be reminded always that these sacraments mean nothing apart from your word, the Bible. And so help us, O oh Lord, 
to remember that. That we need to be students of your word, hearers of your word, listeners to your word, recipients of your word, believers of your word. For from your word, the word of Christ, we come to know and believe in the Savior, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.